Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. God. Amen. I am greatly encouraged at the spirit of this conference already. Great preaching this morning, and I feel that the Holy Spirit has us on a thread, and it's always good to know that. Can you say amen? amen. Let's turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. I believe God to help us. 1 Samuel 18. A woman woke up her husband late one Sunday morning said, honey, you're going to be late for church if you don't get up soon. Her husband said, I decided I'm not going to church today. The wife, the wife said, what? Why? Husband said, I'll give you two good reasons why. One, they don't like me at that church. And two, I hope they all go to hell. <laughs> the wife said, well, I'll give you three good reasons why you are going to church today. One, there are plenty of people who love you at that church. Two, God wants them to go to heaven. And three, you're the pastor. <laughs> when it's gotten to that place, you need conference. <laughs> Our eternal well-being is vitally linked to how we process relationships here on earth. And this is a skill that God can and must help us with. And I want to preach a sermon I've called Destiny Relationships. We're looking at 1 Samuel 18. This is David. Very interesting insight into his life and his success. Let's read verse 1 through 5. It says, When he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Down to verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Destiny relationships. I want to look first of all at understanding relational skills. As I was putting this sermon together, I remembered that somewhere in the 1980s, Pastor Mitchell uh, began to recommend a book. And I, I believe this was at May Fellowship. We used to have a fellowship in Phoenix of all the pastors. 
And he even brought copies of this book by the case and began to give them away. And it was the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Carnegie. Now, I can't speak for everyone, but I have, I have to say that for me, I was shocked. I was shocked that Pastor Mitchell was giving away a book on how to win friends and influence people. Because in my mind, we don't win friends and influence people. We preach the gospel and offend people. <laughs> and, you know, we speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Bless God, we're prophets. We're not politicians. We draw the line in the sand, you know. And, and I, I must admit, I was a bit taken aback and I took my copy. And the truth is that, you know, I, I would say that up to that point in my ministry, God had helped me. There had been a degree of fruit and, and even success. But it's also true that my greatest frustrations in the ministry were largely due to my own self-inflicted mistakes. And those mistakes honestly ranged on the graph from typical rookie errors to borderline social retardation. <laughs> and that book really, really helped me. I mean, that book impacted me like a sledgehammer. And I remember the first time I read it, my response was, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. And I really began to go to prayer. I and I, I don't know how many years this is true, but I read that book every year deliberately because I knew that there needed to be something changed in the way I viewed ministry. Successful ministry, according to the word of God, and being the Lord's prophet is not opposed to developing wise relational skills. They are not mutually exclusive. And success in ministry is a combination of anointing and skill. There is gifting and Holy Spirit anointing, and there is technique. There is firm leadership, and there is grace. And in our text, it's very interesting that three times in chapter 18, the Word of God says of David, he behaved wisely. And literally, that word in the original means to be circumspect. It means to be intelligent. It means to become an expert. It means to guide wittingly, to be successful. It means to behave oneself. And it's saying very clearly, church, that if you want to be successful, you must be all of those things in relationships. We desperately need these skills. I was reminded of reading about a corporate CEO when all the CEO books were real popular, leadership books were real popular. And they asked this man, what is one quality above all others you are willing to pay top dollar for? 
in an employee. That gets everybody's attention. What is, if you could sum it up, what is the one quality above all others that you are willing to pay top dollar for in your organization and the answer surprised them? It wasn't training. It wasn't education. It wasn't the degrees. It wasn't even experience, and it wasn't longevity. Far away, he said, the number one thing we will pay for is the ability to communicate and to get along with other human beings. If a person has the ability to get along, and if a person has the ability to communicate, they are extremely valuable. He said, we can teach them almost anything. The kingdom of God, I, I, I want to say very clearly that this ability is not above righteousness. We don't exalt this above integrity. Can you say amen? This is, does not trump character. This is not beyond diligence. But as we've heard this morning already, you can have all those and you can lack this ability in relationship and you can fail in the ministry. And as you begin to ponder this, you know, you, you have to begin to consider that one of the cruel jokes of fallen nature are blind spots. If, if there's one really, really uh, hard thing to deal with is that our intentions are good. We answer the call of God. We pick up the cross. We sacrifice but there are areas of our lives that are defective. There are areas of our personalities. There are areas of our emotional makeup and character. And, and the cruel joke is everyone else can see them. And we, we, we are not only are we blind to them, we're very defensive if they're pointed out. That, 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 is a, that's, that makes it to be complicated math. Somebody said, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. <laughs> and it, it's just this, this cruel joke of sin that it's on our lives that built into our very beings are these mechanisms that shut off these obvious and odious parts of our character. You know, we have in our nose the ability to smell but do you know that when a human being has bad breath, it deliberately shuts off to a person's own bad breath? What kind of demonic humor? What kind of evil? <laughs> that, is beyond, that is beyond. That is a cruel joke. And so years ago, I became famous for the proverb, never refuse a breath mint. I just learned in life. You just don't refuse a breath mint. Hey, brother, how you doing? Yeah, hey, can I offer you a mint? Nah. No, seriously. Can... <laughs> no, I'm good. I insist. Like, empty them into your pocket, you know? And, and I'm telling you, that's just one example. That, that is just life, and it, it's, it's, it's an amazing dynamic. And if you look at our text, you realize that a large part of David's ability as a leader was linked to his ability 
with people. And once we accept this as a part of our responsibility as Christians, and especially in leadership, the more we can see scriptures that are in the Bible to help us, whether it be a soft answer turns away wrath, or the fool is known by the multitude of words, or a wise reprover on an obedient ear. All of these are designed to help us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We are in the people business. And we can see our need to understand relational skills. I'm going to look secondly then from top to bottom. Because many people struggle to understand that this ability actually flows in many directions. Pastor Mitchell is known to have said to us years, for years, a man's character is revealed by how he treats people who can do nothing for him and can do nothing to him. And if you, if you begin to seek to understand that wisdom, then it, it begins to speak to the reality that wisdom and integrity and in relationships must flow in more than one direction. These skills are required. We, we are in relationship with God. We, we are called to have a relationship with God. And we need to be good at that. But we're also in relationship with our spouse. And we're in relationship with spiritual leaders. And we're in relationship with the congregation. And we're in relationship with brethren. Not to mention... Bosses, classmates, neighbors, all of these things begin to contribute or, or detract from a believer's success. And this is especially true for leaders. And in our text, it illustrates the three crucial directions that I want to address. And that is relationship skills with those who are below us. Relationship skills with those who are alongside and relationship skills with those who are above. So let's talk about below. And I know that concept is not PC. You know, we are fixated on the egalitarian view of life. Like everybody's the same and every, well, I want to tell you, that's not reality. And people have the same worth and they have the same value and we, we understand all that. But if you look at Verse 5 said, so David went out whenever, wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. That is multidirectional. Without apology, he talks about being set over others. But also finding favor, we could say laterally and and uh, so I want to I want to look you know, at these three directions. One is you must be able to relate correctly to those that are below you, which when we, we use these terms below and above, we're talking about rank. We're talking about authority. We're talking about accountability because we are in a military. Can you say amen? The kingdom of God involves accountability and authority and rank. Children rank below their parents. 
This is so natural. It is, it's, it's unnatural for that to be resisted. Jesus, when he was on earth with his followers, the words that, that he recorded, some of them are just stunning in their uh, incredible paradigm-changing attitude, ability. When he, when he said in Matthew 20, 25, he called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. You know, it probably wasn't until I, I lived in Kenya that I fully understand how powerful and how changing those words were. In Kenya... You know, it's all about who's in charge and people below you serve you and, 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 and we, the servant leader, that is, that is a Christian concept. The servant leader are, is a concept that Jesus breathed into the earth. He said, I'm going to change the way you view leadership. And a wise leader must learn to properly relate to those that he has been given authority over, or this can be very, very disruptive to his ministry and to the kingdom of God and to those people. When I was in Gallup, New Mexico, working to reorient some of the false um, uh, reference points that had been put in place in that uh, arm of our fellowship, and one of them had to do with the original pastor who was, was, started out in great revival, but became very, very harsh and very domineering and very, very intense, uh, and, 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 uh, to the point of it being excessive. And one of the challenges was, uh, to, to watch these men that had been discipled by this guy kind of go through this detox. And many of them did. Some of the finest men have come out of Gallup, New Mexico. Some of the so very fruitful and good men. But I, I remember watching the, the reorientation of their views of leadership and their views of discipleship. And one of these pastors that um, had been, uh, by many measures, successful. He built a good church. He actually built a church up to 140 people. That's pretty good had planted some churches, but there came a, a time in his life while I was there that things were coming apart in his marriage. Things were coming apart in his children, and of course, in his church to some degree. And this guy, sadly, uh, he, he, he essentially wanted to resign, brought him to Gallup, tried a dignified redirection, gave him some dignity, uh, but, but this guy ended up backsliding. But one morning at breakfast... He said something. He said, I had 140 of the most committed, miserable people on earth. And I told him, I said, brother, that's the problem. The problem with that is that you were motivating those people by the sheer force of your displeasure. And that's what he had learned. And I said, you are able as a leader to get compliance, but that's not faith. 
And that is not my reference point. That is not what it felt like being in the Prescott Church under Pastor Mitchell's ministry. And many pastors don't understand this. As we've heard this morning, many times as leaders, and we're all guilty of this, we can major on lecturing, cajoling, correcting, not understanding that there are people that will come into compliance rather than uh, experience your displeasure. That is not faith. The Bible says faith is believing that God is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And yes, there are consequences to disobedience. Yes, hell is part of the message. But I want to tell you that what drives the culture of evangelism, discipleship and church planting is the ability to inspire is the ability to cast a vision. One man said, I set a crown over my congregation and I help them grow into it. It is the ability to lay out, you know, before you both options, you know, life and death and blessing and cursing. But choose life and to inspire and to, uh, to exhort and to be able to challenge people to a faith that says, I can be what God says I can be. And this is a profound and very important difference in relationship skills. First Thessalonians 2 and 7, Paul said, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own soul. This is an impartation because you had been dear to us. The ability to influence, the ability to challenge, the ability to call uh, people uh, to a higher level of faith. I want to tell you, that's why I was willing to leave Prescott. Uh, me and my wife, she was eight months pregnant. We didn't have any insurance. And yet we had an opportunity to go to Las Vegas and preach the gospel. It wasn't, we, were, we weren't conjoled into that. We wanted to do that. It was like, this is a privilege to go to Nairobi, to come to Australia. Decisions that maybe are not the most comfortable decision. But this has to do with the impartation of a vision and a challenge and an ability to relate to those people that you are called to inspire. A wise leader must understand and have the relationship skills to, to accept the fact that people in your church are at different levels of revelation. They are at different levels of development. And yes, they are at different levels of obedience. They do not always need to be polarized. The fact that not everybody's hitting for six is not necessarily a reflection on you and your leadership. It is not your job to make sure you have 100% compliance. And outside of somebody's behavior affecting the culture of the church or being in rebellion or, or false doctrine, these are, these, that's, a different, that's a different situation. But I teach my men, I said, you would be wise in your leadership on a personal level to let people feel from you, I accept you at the level you choose to be at. Preaching is inspiring the, the congregation. I understand that. But I'm talking about the ability to work with people that are below you. Wise relational skills 
require the ability to connect and help pull people to another level. I heard one man say it's kind of like the way trains couple. And if you've ever seen freight trains uh, that, you know, here, here's these, you know, these massive engines that are pulling incredible, uh, you know, uh, numbers of boxcars. And how do they hook them up? Well, they have this coupling device where the engine backs up into the, the train car and, and there's a device on the train car that opens up and then grabs the engine. And then likewise, they each have that same. And so they just kind of back up. They connect and then they're able to pull them forward. One man that was speaking of this illustration, he says, some, some people are really good at that. They're good at connecting. They're good at gaining that influence to pull. He says, some people, other people, just, they just bang into people. It's bang, bang. And I want to tell you, we need God to help us to understand the difference. So we have to relate to people that are below us. Another powerful thought as I was praying on this is that leaders need to learn how to relate to those that are alongside of them. Our text picks up Jonathan and David and a powerful connection that took place right here. Verse 1, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I would like to, for the sake of this sermon, liken Jonathan and his relationship to David as a friend or a peer. Many leaders, to their credit, will work on looking after those below them, but they ignore their brethren. They really do not understand how necessary and valuable it is to connect sideways. Because... Why? Maybe they're unconcerned. Maybe they think colleagues don't matter. Or maybe it's competition. Maybe it's envy. You know, Jonathan had a lot of reason to be threatened by David. Jonathan really was in line for the kingdom. And it began to be apparent that David was going to be the one raised up. So, you know, there's ego, there's competition, there could be a threatening involved. But Hebrews 11.40 says, they without us are not complete. That, that is a profound, I want you to just hold that. God has ordained that they without us would not be made complete. I think God deliberately builds into discipleship these relationship challenges to expose for the purpose of our betterment, but also to weed out those that will disqualify themselves from progress. And I want to say something to you, my brother. Siblings are good for the ego. Do you know why siblings are good for the ego? Because they remind you that not everyone on earth is awed by who you are. 
Leaders can get way too used to be showing deference. Seriously, it can become addicting. You walk into the room, everybody stands up a little bit straight. Officer on board. The conversation changes, you know, the crowd parts. And without even trying, you can get awfully used to that. Peers are good for the soul. Because they're not impressed. They're not, they're not immediately impressed. You need, you need some peers. You, you need some brothers. You need some people. Because not only do you need encouragement, right? You need some sideways encouragement. But the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's possible to learn how to treat subordinates. It's, it's possible to even learn to defer to leaders, but not connect sideways. And Spurgeon is noted to say, and I'm not sure if I got his wording right, but I think this captures what he, what he said. He noticed that the overall opinion of a man's peers concerning his character is seldom wrong. And again, I, I don't believe that's a quote, but that's the, the tenor of what he said. He said, I've noticed that the overall opinion of a man's peers concerning his character is seldom wrong. And there's times when, as a pastor of pastors or, or somebody that's trying to help other pastors, I have been struggling to help somebody to see their blind spots. And, and, I've, and, and, and I can tell it's not getting through. I, I have been known to say to them, why don't you ask three of your friends if this is true? And then I'd say, you, you have friends? <laughs> Assuming you have friends, which I would assume we all should have them, why don't you just out of the blue say, is, is this true? I've, I've had people say this about me. You know, it, it, you definitely can't be overly responsive to every criticism, can you? You know, what's the old saying? If one person calls you a donkey, ignore them. Two people call you a donkey, introspection. If three people call you a donkey, buy a saddle. <laughs> I read one article where it challenges the reader to find a friend and ask them, is there anything about me I don't seem to see but is obvious to you? Ooh, that would be a scary experiment. <laughs> iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 17, or 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. This is a picture of a knife on a sharpening steel, if you've ever seen that. Sparks can fly a bit. You know, sparks fly sometimes when you're, when you're trying to, Deal with this kind of stuff. But the idea, one translation says, so people can improve each other. I've seen good men, having done well in other directions, struggle sideways to their own detriment. You can't put a sermon together like this without saying, stopping and going, is it I? Because we all have them. So then there's the idea of relating correctly above. And again, in verse 5, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. So like David, he had to manage relationships below 
alongside and above. And when it came to his relationships with those above him, there was times he was in favor. There was times he was in disfavor. And during those times of disfavor, there were times he deserved it. And there's times he did not deserve it. And like David, every person in the kingdom of God has an appointment with this reality. Because I want to tell you, the devil will contend for your relationship with your headship. And I recall recently Pastor Mitchell's response to our first major rebellion in 1990. Consider this. Consider this was what was going through his mind. He was tempted to conclude, what good is it? To plant churches, if once men succeed, they break off and rebel. That's what was going through our pastor's mind after the first rebellion. What good is it to put all this investment into men, teach them, finance them, release them, give them dignity, only to at one point they decide they don't need you anymore. And he was tempted to just say, forget it, until God said, you do what I told you to do. And I will take care of this issue. We're 40 years down the track. And you know the problem is still the same. The, the thing we have to ask ourselves. At what level do we no longer need or want our pastor's input into our lives? At what level? Sadly, I would say for some, it's as soon as they get sent out. Because you never hear from them. Hello. And I encourage my men. You can call me anytime. Call me. And, and I tell them, the ones that call do the best. And it's really true. And we don't want to micromanage them, and we're not trying to run their lives. But at what level do we no longer want or, or, or need leadership? For some, it's fruitfulness. Some, it's when they get full-time. Some, when they become leaders, fill in the blank. And you know what else complicates this is leadership changes, there's time, there's blurred lines. And it begins to beg the question, you know, do I have a pastor? How are my relation skills upward? Who do I look for for sanction? Sanction's a powerful word. It's not like, you know, our leaders are holding our hands and have to give us permission to cross the street. But sanction, you ought to learn the spiritual reality to sanction. It's delegated authority, covering, insight, clarity, wisdom, and advice and correction. And David was able to navigate these waters with those above him, even when he was abused. You look at verse 14 and 15. It says, David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. So this was a bad chapter for David. He had some serious uh, abuse, we would say, from this man who was, uh, who was appointed by God to be his leader. But even though David you know, experienced that and navigated that, it's powerful that Nathan the prophet was still able to call him out. He still maintained his, his relationships to those above him to where when correction came, he humbled himself. And relational skills, church, are multidirectional. And you could be good at two out of three and fail in destiny because of one. I want to close then with the powerful payoff. 
I don't have time to fully uh, develop this scripture again, but Hebrews 11.40 says, God, basically it's saying, God has set it up that they, without us, would not be complete. If you can take that to heart and say, part of my character development is going to be properly and successfully and righteously developing destiny relationships. And David was successful. I believe in every one of these directions, primarily because in the most important relational skill, and that was with God. You have to keep your heart right with God. And if you keep your heart right with God, these things will be challenged and will be brought into correct focus. And though he was flawed, what's powerful about David was in his testimony, the Holy Spirit called him a man after God's own heart. Have you ever thought about that? Considering his failures, considering the failures that you wouldn't wish on anybody. And I believe there's many reasons for that. But one of the primary reasons that I believe that David was a man after God's own heart is that he had this incredible ability to repent. He had this ability, no matter how successful or strong or rich or influential, he could humble himself. He could humble himself. We read that David's heart smote him. And if we get to the point where our heart does not smite us the way it used to, it's time for an altar call. David may have had his blind spots like we all do, but he showed us how they can be overcome. Times when Nathan would correct him. He was on his way to kill Nabal and a woman named Abigail was able to bring correction to him. This wasn't, this, you know, some men have a hard enough time listening to their wives. This woman was a stranger. Jonathan was able to bring perspective to David. And God. And you know what happens when this is guarded and worked on? There is a supernatural dimension that is released called favor. Favor. This is a spiritual dimension. This is not brown nosing. This isn't, you know, manipulative. This is a spiritual dimension. In the Old Testament, Israel was Jacob, the con man, the conniver, who through his trials and his, his, his humility and repentance became Israel, which is power with men and God. Power with God and men. You talk about multidirectional. By the time you, you come to a place where you have power with God and mankind, then you have begun to acquire this powerful blessing from God. Daniel had an excellent spirit. It, it was said of Solomon, he had magnanimity of heart, largeness of heart. Jesus, it was said, he had favor with God and man. And in the book of Acts, it said, having favor with all the people. And literally, I believe that this is a grace and a person's spirit. 
It does not guarantee there will never be persecution. It doesn't guarantee that there's never going to be misunderstanding. But it is an anointing upon our relationships. And you know, the truth is, we're all made of the same material. We all have the same destiny opportunities and we can overcome this. And that's why Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? That's an embarrassing word picture. That's, that's, like, that's worse than the bad breath picture. It says, here you are focusing on this little eyelash in the corner of somebody's eye, and you're making a big deal out of it, and you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your head. He says, hypocrite. That, that's scary. Hypocrite. He's talking to his disciples. First, remove the plank out of your own eye. He didn't say, how dare you want to help somebody with their blind spot? How dare you have an opinion about somebody's behavior? He just said, look, doesn't it make more sense? Remove the telephone pole and you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, when you removed a few telephone poles from your face, you tend to be a little less harsh on the eyelash. A little less judgmental, a little less overreactive. And a lot of leadership and ministry is helping people to overcome their blind spots. And if God can help us with ours, church, we can see clearly we can get better at this. Close with a book. I was speaking to Pastor Greg about this thought, and he told me about a book. I wasn't able to read the whole thing, but I read a review and picked, you know, he gave me a good illustration. The book is called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's talking about leaders, how leaders are successful to a certain level, and then they find themselves hitting a wall. And the premise of the book is that plenty of books tell leaders what to do to be successful, but not many of them tell them what to stop doing. And in this story, there was a company that had a very valuable leader. He had value. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a blessing and an asset. But he didn't see himself correctly. And his blind spots were affecting the culture of this company. They actually brought a specialist in. And they do what's called a 360 assessment concerning this man. That means they talked to people below him, alongside him and above him, and make a report and they bring it to the leader. This is how people see you. They make it, and then they make them read it. This man was shocked, embarrassed, but he said these words, I'm going to change. He said, not so much for the money or for the company. He says, I'm going to change because I have sons. And if they're receiving this same feedback in 20 years about me, I'll be ashamed. It's not, it's not even just about us. It's about our sons. It's about our discipling, multiplying factor. Verse 30, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so whenever they went out, David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. The Bible says, for all David's faults, after he served his own generation by the will of God. These are, dinked, these are linked to destiny, relationships, 
This is a wisdom. This is a fruit of the spirit. This is a favor that God can bring to our lives. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.